All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're in 1 Kings 17. We continue on in this Kings series, and I just want to give you a heads up that we're going to pause the series for the next couple of weeks, because next Sunday's Palm Sunday, and then the Sunday after that is Easter. So, but this has all set the table, this Kings series has set the table for what we're going to be getting into next Sunday. You'll see how this all works together. We're excited to dig in together uh, for next Sunday. So um, your reading continues, but the messages the next couple of weeks um, will be different from the reading. So just a note on that. You know, last week we looked at the split kingdom. And if you remember, I took a sheet and I ripped it into uh, 12 different pieces. And we talked about 10 of those going off into one family and a new dynasty and a new kingdom. And we had these kings of Israel and it went all the way down the list into new families. It was bouncing around and it ended up with this king named Ahab, this evil, evil, evil king. And we're going to look at his life a little bit today. And then he has a son that takes over when he dies by the name of Ahaziah. And we'll get a little bit of an introduction to him and see what his life looks like as well. And then, of course, what was going on in the southern kingdom, God was sparing the line of David that would eventually bring King Jesus. Now, on the other side, we're not going to focus in on the kings of Judah today, but we're going to look at the life of a prophet by the name of Elijah. He shows up on the scene here in chapter 17. And this is a man that's going to be used by God to speak to the king. God is going to speak through these prophets. You see, Elijah, we're going to be introduced to a man named Elisha, and then there's also another prophet by the name of Micaiah. So a variety of individuals coming in on the scene, specifically known as prophets, and they're going to be God's horn, if you will, God's mouthpiece to share things that God is wanting shared. And so before we roll in through this, Let's take a moment to just settle our hearts, pray, and ask God to bless this time together. So would you please pray with me before we begin. Father, thank you for this time together. And God, I'm asking for your blessing upon this service, and specifically this message, that Lord, you would guide my words, guide my heart, the things you want shared. Thank you for this account especially of Elijah, this man of God. Help us to, to recognize things in his life and things we can apply into our own lives. So we ask for your help here today. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's going to be some narration because we're flying through about seven different chapters here. We will focus in more on 1 Kings 19. But to start with... 1 Kings 17, you're welcome to open there, and I'm going to just walk through this, and you can be glancing at this as I kind of tell the story. But we're introduced to this prophet named Elijah, and he's quite a crazy, wild-looking man. Long hair, right? Pretty hairy individual. We were at a men's conference yesterday in Davenport, and some guy walked through in a room for about 850 people, and he looked like a wild man. And instantly I was like, that probably was Elijah in his day. I mean, just big, crazy hair. He was wearing like this big, long robe. 
you know, the typical church-going outfit. <laughs> he stuck out, but I think Elijah stuck out a little bit too. But here's this Elijah. He comes onto the scene and he tells King Ahab there's not going to be any dew or any rain for the next few years until he gives the word for it to rain. So the Lord tells Elijah then to go and basically camp out beside a brook or this stream and he's going to drink from that for a source of water and then for food, God's going to send ravens to come and feed Elijah. Now, I don't know if you guys realize what birds eat, but you can imagine in my mind, if I was told some birds are going to fly in and give you food, I'm thinking crickets, right? This is going to be really enjoyable. Here's a worm, somewhat chewed up, and here you go. But they actually brought Elijah bread and meat to eat. And he drank from this brook, but you can imagine as several days begin to stack upon themselves and there's no rain and no dew, that brook begins to dry up to the point where there's no more water. And so he picks up his camp and he heads on out and God's going to send him to Zarephath and there's a widow there and God says, this widow is going to feed you and I'm going to instruct this widow to feed you. And so Elijah arrives and he sees this widow gathering sticks for cooking a meal. And Elijah comes up and he says, would you please get me some water? And she's agreeable to that. So she begins to walk away and go, oh, and, and some bread. And some bread while we're at it. So he's asking for a meal. And as that's going on, she says, well, I only have one single thing of bread. Food is running short. We got this drought. Now it's turning into a famine. And things are very difficult, not to mention I'm a widow. So things are a little bit difficult around here. Well, as she's describing that, she also says, by the way, I only have a handful of flour, and I have just a tiny little bit of olive oil in this jar at the very bottom of the jar. I mean, I am basically on empty. Well, Elijah says, hey, don't be afraid. Go ahead, continue to make what you're making. Go ahead, cook your meal. But make me some bread first. That was a decision she had to make, right? Hospitality, do I put my guest first? Or do I feed myself and my son first? But I need to trust Elijah's words. He says, then whatever's left over, use for your meal. And he tells her this, this miraculous thing. And by the way, when you go into that flour jar or that oil jar, even if you're reaching down to the bottom, it will never run out as long as we're in this drought. That's a miracle. A miracle of God's provision. Well, she did as Elijah said, and the Bible says there was always enough. Never-ending flour, never-ending oil. That's pretty cool. Imagine having guests over. You say, see that jar over there? Go grab some flour. They come, they leave, and oh, grab, go grab some more. They keep grabbing, and it never runs out. Isn't that awesome? So one of the very first things we see here, this message being God speaks, as I want us to understand, is God speaks provision. Okay? God said this would never run out, and it didn't. And I want to just say something for a second as far as when God speaks. He 
He says, if you seek me and my kingdom first and my righteousness, he said, I'm going to provide for your needs. Do you believe that? God speaks provision over our life. As the story continues, this widow has a son and he gets really sick. Sick to the point that he passes away. And now she confronts Elijah. She's kind of upset. You know, like when you lose something in your life, sometimes you can get maybe angry with the situation, which then can lead to maybe anger with God who could have done something in that situation. And then we're now going to attach it to this man of God. Like, you're in my home and my son just died. Do something about this. And I can only imagine what was going through Elijah's mind because he's crying out before the Lord. He takes this kid upstairs and prays, God, bring this child back to life. Even stretching himself over the child several times. And you want to know what happens? God breathes life back into this child. And Elijah walks the boy back in the room He's alive. He's alive. And the mother is completely amazed. God speaks healing into our situations and our circumstances. God spoke healing through Elijah. In 1 Kings 18, we shift now to a scene where in three years into this drought, Elijah is told by God to go to King Ahab and tell him it's going to rain. And so he goes, and this famine had gotten so severe that King Ahab tells one of his palace servants, we need to go out and we need to start collecting grass from around the area in order to feed our livestock. So we're going to go on a mission. I'll go one way, you go the other. Let's collect what we can. We need to feed our livestock. So while they're out and about... This particular individual by the name of Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace, he runs up onto Elijah. And I just want to note something about this guy named Obadiah. The Bible says that he was a follower, a devoted follower of the Lord. Could you imagine living in the palace or working in the palace of King Ahab and Jezebel, and yet you were a devoted follower of the Lord? I admire that. So I think you can put yourself in an environment that is that wicked and is that far gone, and yet you can still be devoted to the Lord. I admire Obadiah's strength. Well, Queen Jezebel at one point tried to kill all of the Lord's prophets and this devoted follower, Obadiah, he hides these 100 prophets, 50 in one cave, 50 in another, and he feeds them while they're in this hiding. And so he's a risk taker. Obadiah's a risk taker. And while he's on this mission and he bumps into Elijah, Elijah says, hey, go tell King Ahab that I'm here. And Ahab and Jezebel do not like prophets from the Lord. And so Obadiah's like, if I go to the king and I say, hey, Elijah's back there, he wants to talk to you, and then we go out to find you and you're not there, guess what they're going to do to me? They're going to kill me. And Elijah's like, nope, I'm telling you, I'm going to be here. Go tell him I want to talk to him. So there's an encounter. Elijah and Ahab, they meet each other, and Ahab 
calls Elijah a troublemaker? Is the pot calling the kettle black here or what? Elijah flips that and says, hey, you're the troublemaker. And here's why. You're worshiping a false god by the name of Baal. Have you ever heard of Baal? B-A-A-L. This god Baal that they begin worshiping, there's 450 false prophets that are leading these people in worship to this false god. This false god is considered a god of fertility and is even depicted as the sun god or even the god of the storms. Now keep that in mind for the showdown that's about to take place. This god of the storm, lightning is included in that. Holding a lightning bolt, actually. And considered the most powerful of all gods. And Baal was called upon frequently for help. So, here's what Elijah says. Gather these false prophets. We're going to have a little showdown. And we're going to go up onto Mount Carmel. And we're going to allow God to settle who's the real God. Is it Baal? Or is it the Lord Almighty? So he says, summon all of Israel. Get those 450 prophets of Baal. And also there's another 400 prophets of this false god, Asherah, who is this goddess of the sea. So all kinds of false worship that's going on. And let's all gather at Mount Carmel and let's see what happens. So grab two bowls. They get one bowl, I'll get one bowl. Grab the wood, go to our altars, separate altars, and let's see what happens. You call out for fire, oh, 450 prophets of Baal, and we'll see what happens with your altar. And I'll call out fire, and we'll see what happens to my altar. And whichever God shows up, we'll know is the God. So all this is going on, and for several hours, these prophets of Baal are calling out, and they're being ridiculous about it. You imagine dancing around the altar and screaming and hollering, and nothing's happening. And even at one point, Elijah tells them, hey, where's your God? Like, is he even listening to you? Maybe he's in the bathroom relieving himself. Like, he even says that. You can look at that in 1 Kings 18. Almost kind of mocking them a little bit because seriously, this is a false god. It's not real. If anything, it's demonic. And it does not hold a candle to my God. They're even cutting themselves, trying to somehow call fire out, and it's not happening. And it's like, okay, okay, it's my turn now. And so Elijah sets up this altar. He actually rebuilds this altar that's been torn down. And he sets up some stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And he decides to even dig a trench around this altar. Not huge, but big enough that it would hold about three gallons of water. And then he's like, hey, bring me water. And they begin to dump it onto this bull that is on the wood and water's flowing all over this altar and it goes down into the trenches. He's got water all over this thing. And then he calls upon God. And fire falls from heaven, hits this altar, sucks it all up, is gone. Literally gone. 
including the water that was in the trench, completely licked up. Elijah's God just showed up in front of everybody. That's a pretty powerful moment, don't you think? So Elijah calls out, he says, those 450 prophets of Baal, seize them and destroy them. So they're annihilated. You'd think that would get everybody's attention, wouldn't you? I mean, if you came to church this morning and all of a sudden fire came down and started licking stuff up, would you go to the pizza ranch later and be like, so the NCAA tournament... I'd be talking about that. Fire came down from heaven. Well, Elijah tells Ahab that a mighty rainstorm is coming. Again, it has not rained for years. Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel and he prays for rain. And a heavy wind brings in a massive storm. So massive, Ahab decides it's time to head back to Jezreel. So via his chariots, he heads back. And I think, again, this is crazy. You'd be talking about this. But the Bible says that Elijah tucks in his robe and he runs and he's faster than the horses hauling the chariot. I'm not that fast. But if you read in the Bible, it says that God's power made him run that fast. Incredible. We see God right here testifying to His power. So at first we see God speaking about His provision. We see God speaking about His healing. Now we see God speaking about His power. And Ahab gets home and his wife, ooh, she's a lady, I'll tell you. She is worse than he is as far as evil goes. And he's like, honey, guess what? We went to this Mount Carmel and those 450 false prophets that you like, they're dead now. But I just want to tell you, in the midst of all this, fire came down. He's probably telling her all about this and she's upset. She's mad. We need to kill Elijah. And Elijah finds out about this. And the man who prayed and fire came down you think he walked right in there and said, bring it on, Jezebel? What did he do? He ran. He got scared, and he went into hiding, and he goes into this cave, and that is where we're going to read right now in 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Fear will make you do funny things. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. Stop right there. When you have fear and you're afraid, one of the things that Satan would love for you to do is go and isolate yourself. Go be alone. 
Don't be in community. Don't be in places where you can be encouraged by other people. Go be alone. So he's isolated and he's exhausted. So he sits down under a solitary broom tree and he then prays that he might die. He goes, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So not only is he fearful, not only has he isolated himself, but the enemy is tormenting to the point now where he's saying, take my life. Take my life. He's suicidal. The Bible says then he lays down and he slept under the broom tree. And I'll just stop right there again. Sometimes one of the most spiritual things that you and I can do when we're exhausted is to sleep. Is to sleep. Get your rest. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Sometimes we just need to eat something too, right? Sometimes we cannot be ourselves when we're hungry, hangry, Okay. Well, he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread that was baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Angel food. How about that? Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more, for the journey ahead will be too much for you. Or the journey ahead will be too much. So he got up, ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord speaks now to Elijah. And the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you think God knew the answer to that question? He knows that. That question, though makes Elijah think. Yeah, you know, God's been faithful. What am I doing here? My God is so much bigger than Queen Jezebel. This question should make him think. Elijah says, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars, and they've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He is just staring at the problem. He is not the only prophet left, but when you get in one of those moods, you exaggerate the problem, don't you? Maybe that's just me. You're all looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. But Elijah's kind of having this pity party, and God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And the Lord told him this. And he goes out there, and the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. So God speaks provision. He speaks His healing. He speaks His power. But I want you to understand something. God also whispers. 
And you and I, we live in such a world of noise and distraction and chaos. The high winds, the earthquakes, the fires. We're putting fires out everywhere. And we're going, oh, I just need to hear from the Lord. And God's going, well, just take some time to listen. God speaks in this quiet whisper again. He asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, he repeats himself. Exaggerates the problem. He's staring at the problem. And the Lord tells him, I want you to go back the same way that you came. Go back, travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. And anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have not bowed down to this god, Baal, who is a false god. One of the things I think God's trying to say here to Elijah is, hey, quit focusing on the problem and just get to work. Quit sucking back in fear. I've got things I need you to do. And I want you to understand that my ways are so much greater than your ways that they're even going to outlive you, Elijah. There's a man named Elisha, and I want you to go take him as your predecessor, and I want you to go continue to do ministry rather than sit here in the corner and pout. So instead of pouting, I want you to serve. Let's go. Kind of get your act together. There's things to be done. So later on in 1 Kings 19, Elisha goes out. He calls Elisha, and he throws his cloak over his shoulders, which is a sign of being a successor. And Elisha says, let me go back, let me say my goodbyes. And then they travel together. Now, as Elijah's assistant, Elisha travels with them. And in 1 Kings 20, there's a king named Ben-Hadad that begins to fight King Ahab. And while they're fighting each other, he's seeking counsel and he's going to win the battle. But as they're fighting each other, they take a moment where King Ahab decides to spare this other king's life and they make a peace treaty and he didn't wipe him out. And an unnamed prophet tells Ahab that he and his family are going to be destroyed because he did not wipe these people out. So there's some seriousness going on now because they're not listening to the Lord. In verse and 1 Kings 21, we meet a man by the name of Naboth who had a vineyard, grew grapes. And it's fairly close to the king's palace. The king likes the territory and he thinks, I could grow a garden there. Green beans probably, I don't know. Tomatoes. But it's convenient as far as the location. And Naboth, he goes to him, wants to buy it. Nathan says, Naboth says, I can't sell this. This is in my family's name. This is not going to work. And so Ahab's very angry about this, and he goes home, tells his wife his frustrating day, and this evil, evil queen decides to take matters into her own hands, and she wipes out Naboth. And goes to King Ahab and says, hey, the man who owned the vineyard, yeah, he's gone, so go claim that. These are wrong things because of the pride, because of the lust that they have. And in verse 25 of chapter 21, it says, No one else was so completely evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab was under the influence of his wife Jezebel. You see the wickedness. 
And Elijah comes to speak to Ahab and to speak against him and his family, again, that God's going to destroy his family. And, and Ahab actually has a moment of brokenness, a moment of humility. And he's weeping, he's got regret. And God relents and decides, I'm going to spare Ahab's life, but once he's gone, then I'll destroy his family. So God speaks provision, God speaks healing, God speaks his power, God speaks in a whisper, but God also speaks judgment, and that's a very serious thing. In 1 Kings 22, we see Israel, the nation and the uh, nation of Judah, coming together to fight together. You know, we talked last week about how there was constant wars between these two nations, and now they're going to fight together. And this king Jehoshaphat pays a visit to Ahab, and Ahab asks him to join him in battle. Jehoshaphat agrees, and Ahab, remember there was 450 prophets of Baal, and there was 400 prophets of Asherah? Well, these 400 prophets are still around, and Ahab summons these 400 prophets in, and he wants their counsel about whether or not he should go to war. And they're all a bunch of yes men. They're like, yes, you're going to go win. You're going to be victorious. Go do this. You're so great. And they just feed his pride. And they tell him God's going to give you victory. And Jehoshaphat, he's like scratching his head. And he goes, hey, is there a prophet like from the Lord anywhere? I mean, we keep hearing from these guys. And Ahab goes, yeah, but he always prophesies bad things about me. I don't really like hearing from him. He doesn't feed my pride. He actually humbles me. And no, I don't like that. Well, this guy's name was Micaiah. And Jehoshaphat gives us a nugget of truth here in verse 8. He says, that's not a way that a king should talk. He says, let's hear what this man has to say. And I think it's important, we're talking about God speaking, we should desire to hear God's voice, even if it's things that we may not want to hear. Sometimes God asks us to do things or take care of things that might hurt a little bit. So Ahab calls Micaiah in, and these false prophets, they're continuing to feed Ahab lies, and a messenger gets to Micaiah and he tells him on his way to Ahab, hey, just tell Ahab, hey, you're going to be successful. Just chime in with the rest of them. He's like coaching this prophet, which you kind of almost wonder what he was thinking. Like, seriously, I'll take care of this. So he walks in and with sarcasm, the Bible has sarcasm. He goes, Oh, yes, go and be victorious. The Lord's going to give the king victory. He must have said that with such sarcasm that Ahab pipes back and he goes, Speak the truth. Knock this stuff off. Okay, well, Micaiah's going to speak truth to him then. And he says, Ahab, you're going to be killed. And he goes, You see, I don't like it when this guy talks. Well, one of the things he also says is that Satan has been at work here and he's feeding your pride, Ahab, and he is speaking through these prophets. These false prophets of Asherah are being used by the devil. 
Well, one of the ringleaders of the prophets, Zedekiah, goes all Oscars on us, and he just smacks Micaiah across the face. (laughs) This is intense. And Micaiah is arrested, and Ahab is determined to go to this battle, and what do you think happens to Ahab? He dies. Some guy in battle shoots a random arrow off And he's not even dressed as a king. He actually disguises himself. So he's like, hey, that's the king. Get him over there. And an arrow hits him. Do you think that's random? And this king dies, and his son Ahaziah then will become king. God speaks a lot of things, and I want to tell you something. God speaks warning into our life. If we'd only listen, God speaks warning. In 2 Kings 1, we see this son of Ahab, King Ahaziah. He falls through a room in his palace, and he gets seriously injured. And he seeks counsel from a false god regarding his situation, and he's wanting recovery. Well, now we see Elijah come back onto the scene, and he speaks to Ahaziah, and he speaks judgment for inquiring to a false god regarding his circumstances. And he tells him that you're never going to leave your bed and you're going to die. Just a little side note, while this is all going down, Elijah has a a couple more encounters of calling fire down from heaven on King Ahab's people. And this guy looks really crazy. I mean, did we establish that a little moment ago? Could you imagine some guy walking around and just... People getting sucked up by fire. There's an incredible power that rests upon him. God speaks out his judgment. And we see here in some of Elijah's final moments, Elijah and Elisha are traveling together, and there was some chit-chat among these prophets in these different towns that Elijah's going to be taken away. Elijah's going to be taken away. And they're like, hey, Elijah, did you know that Elijah? And he's like, yes, I know, I know. And he keeps trying to drop Elisha off. Like, if you just leave me alone, then I can finally go to heaven, you know. And he refuses to leave him alone. He keeps traveling with them. And several times he tries to shed Elijah. But he's determined to stay. And the traveling they're on takes him to the Jordan River. And he takes his cloak and he slaps the water. And the water parts. And they walk across this dry ground to get to the other side. And then Elijah asks Elisha, what can I do for you? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want to become your successor. And he says, if you see me leave, your request will be granted. And then probably one of the most famous things about Elijah, if you said, tell me something about Elijah, you'd say, the chariot of fire. And this chariot comes through and splits the two of them while they're having a conversation. You imagine, whoa! Off it goes and it creates this whirlwind and Elijah is taken up to heaven in this whirlwind. Incredible. And in 2 Kings 2, verse 13... He sees this all happen. Elisha watches it go down and he picks up Elijah's cloak which had fallen when he was taken up into heaven. And then he returns to the banks of the Jordan 
And imagine he's holding this thing, and what do you think's going through his mind? Let's just see if this works. <laughs> Slaps the water, and it parts. And now we're introduced to another prophet. We'll talk more about Elisha in another week. But I look at this prophet named Elijah and how God was speaking in so many ways. There's a lot to reflect here and there was a lot to cover and to some degree I feel like I'm out of breath. But like this is a powerful testimony to the fact that God speaks. He spoke through prophets. He speaks into all these different circumstances. And for us here today, the Bible tells us, and this was our memory verse, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. God has spoken, and it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus brings provision. And Jesus brings healing. And Jesus brings power. Jesus brings a judgment. Because He paid for your sin... He took the judgment, but the problem is, is there's people that reject that gift. But He brings that judgment and He brings warning and He tells people, you need to get ready. I mean, that verse right there says that He's spoken to us in these last days. These last days. Not like in those last days. These last days. We're in serious times and God is speaking, and specifically speaking, through Jesus. Are we listening? Are we heeding? Can you hear Him? Or is the noise around us so loud that we can't even hear that gentle whisper? God speaks to us in a variety of ways. Point number one, we get into the Word and God speaks powerfully. We want to hear His voice get into the Word. He speaks to us through His Spirit. He speaks to us through His people. He speaks to us through circumstances. But the Spirit and people and circumstances need to be filtered right back into the Word. What is God trying to say to me? And as my prayer here today is that we would turn down the noise and we could listen to what it is that God's trying to say. Covered a lot of ground. But that's what I felt pressed upon my heart to share this morning. God is speaking. Are we listening? Let's hear, hear that voice. And let's respond. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time. I believe you're speaking in a variety of ways. And I pray, Lord that our hearts would be receptive and responsive. Hearts that aren't hard like Ahab and, and Jezebel's, but hearts that are ready to respond. And if we're going through difficult things like Elijah was, feeling that isolation, feeling that intensity of a circumstance, maybe even feeling at a point where you're just like, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. Lord, I pray that you would speak into that person's heart and into that person's life and let them know that you have things for them to do in your kingdom. 
they have a purpose. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your grace and your blessing upon the things that you're speaking right now. Help us to receive these things and by faith live these things out. Thank you for this time together in your word, Lord. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.